Before we start the show, I've been notified that AMPTP and SAG-AFTRA have gone back to the negotiating tables. We won't know too much about negotiations prior to this episode being uploaded, but I do ask that while we're waiting on said results, or if they're going to continue negotiations until next week, that you continue your support for our fellow actors, as always. Once again, I'll provide links for those willing to donate to those who are in need. If you can't afford to donate, please spread the word across social media platforms or join them in picketing. If I know any more information on the SAG after strike, I'll make sure to inform you as soon as I can. Until then, hang in there and keep up the good work, SAG AFTRA. Hello listeners, welcome to the Lone Screenplay Nominee Podcast, where we talk about films that were solely nominated for an Oscar in the writing categories. I'm your host, Matthew Anderson, and today we have Christina Bureau, who is a freelance journalist, a host of her own podcast, uh, Pop Cultural Confidential, and a member of the Critics' Choice Association, if I'm correct, if I uh, my memory serves me correct. Uh, welcome to the show, Christina. How are you doing today? Hi, Matthew. I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that I I was able to bring you on and you know who would have who would have known that the, the the past year's Oscars of like a brief discussion of us talking about All Quiet on the Western Front uh would lead us to finally collaborating on an episode here. I know. See those Oscars bringing people together. Yeah, exactly. Whether, <laughs> you know, for better or for worse, but uh we'll we'll get we'll get more into that. In this in this case, okay. Oh yeah, no, no. For this one's a good case. Oh, definitely, you know, regardless of, you know, what I have to say about this movie, uh, you know, I'm I'm glad to have another guest on, but uh I'll I'll keep my my thoughts on the movie a secret for now. Um but before we dive into our episode, I have our general questions I'd like to ask our guest whenever they come on. So I mentioned that you were a freelance journalist, and of course you have your own podcast, Pop Cultural, Pop Cultural Confidential, excuse me. Would you care to explain what exactly it is you do on your own podcast, or what exactly it is you sure. do for a living, like for those who aren't aware of what a freelance journalist uh, role is? Of course. So for my podcast, um, I interview people in film and TV, um, everyone from actors to directors to writers, and we cover, I cover film festivals and industry news and things like this week, I've talked to Errol Morris about his John le Carré documentary, Pigeon Tunnel, um, coming up, I'm talking to Sofia Coppola, then I have lots of shows that are sort of about upcoming films and themes and things like that. And um, as a journalist, I, I was a producer for a long time on different talk shows, but as a freelance journalist, I have a segment on TV that I do um, every Tuesday where I talk about the Hollywood industry and then I moderate and lots of different things to make ends meet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially with this economy where we're practically being asked to right? give up uh, our, our, our free time uh, in the day and on the weekends uh, just to uh, pay, you know, our dues. So um, yeah, but yeah, you know, you gotta, you gotta pay the bills somehow. So um yeah. The other question I also want to ask is it's always tough to ask someone what their favorite film is. So instead of asking what is your favorite film, what exactly is your favorite genre of film, so to speak? 
That's hard too. I'm, I really am an omnivore, I have to say. And I mean that in, in um, for real. I mean, I, could, I love a good horror film. I love a good rom-com. Mm. Um, my thesis way back when in, in, in film school was um, Tarantino. Um, I'd say one of my favorite movies is like a Sunset Boulevard. Um, so that's just a little just to give you a little thing I don't think I can pick anything in particular or a particular genre either but um those are a few examples maybe yeah uh, yeah Tarantino is one that I I got a chance to talk with on uh it was the 300 passions podcast I got a chance to talk about uh what was the film uh was it true romance Tony Scott directed oh amazing yeah uh-huh. Um, yeah, I got a chance to talk about that. And, uh, yeah, Tarantino is a really interesting filmmaker in of himself. And I'm, uh, apparently he's got one more film left in him, but, uh, whatever it is, I'm curious to see what that's going to be. Um, cannot wait. Yeah. I hope it's not his last one. I hope that's just hyperbole, but let's see. I mean, you know, I, I, I mean, what was it this up well, as, as we're recording kills of the flower moon is coming out. And if this is, you know, if this ends up being Martin Scorsese's final film, I'm like, he ended on a really high note. So, oh, wow, yeah. you know, regardless of what we have to think about that film, it's like, but Tarantino isn't quite 81 yet. That's true. He's, <laughs> he's got some years left in him. Um, so yeah, I think we, you know, if it's all right with you, Christina, I think we might as well just jump right into our discussion for our episode where, uh, today we'll be discussing when Harry met Sally, uh, a film from 1989. As always, this won't be a beat by beat bulletin, uh, presentation like you hear on other on other channels but we will be discussing major spoilers for our our discussion so to speak if you haven't seen the movie yet i don't know why it took you this long i mean granted it took me this long to see it so i'm part of the the blame too um but if you want to hear our full thoughts on it just watch the movie first and then come back to hear us talk about it with that said i'm gonna just get through uh you know, quick set of notes on the production details for this. Known for directing Stand By Me and The Princess Bride, Rob Reiner had discussed with Nora Ephron, who is our writer of the film for When Harry Met Sally, about an idea of two friends never having sex because it could ruin their friendship. She ended up interviewing Rob and others about their dating life to create Harry and Sally. Uh, reportedly, the first draft of the film didn't have the two of them end up together by the end, which which kind of surprised me a little bit, but at the same time, I could see why um, they were trying to avoid that for, for so long when writing several drafts of this script. Uh, if anything, they wanted to ask questions about the idea of men and women, men and women, excuse me, being just friends without having sex. Uh, when Harry Met Sally was distributed by Columbia Pictures in a limited release on July 12th, 1989, and expanded nationwide as word of mouth grew. One note I also want to give to our guests is I couldn't find too much notes or much of a timeline in terms of like when this film was shot, whether any like, you know, production disasters, so to speak, or any kind of uh, uh, hiccups, you know, with the the filming process of it so i assume everything went well and anything additional in terms of like the improv stuff we'll bring up in our notes later and well actually in just a minute uh on a production budget of 16 million dollars the film made an estimated of 92.8 million worldwide and outside of its sole writing nomination for Nora efron it did win the she did win the bafta award for original screenplay uh kudos to her 
and was nominated at the Writers Guild of America in the original screenplay category alongside uh, Crimes and Misdemeanors, Dead Poet Society, and Sex, Lies, and Videotapes. One day down the road, I will be covering Sex, Lies, and Videotapes, so stay tuned on that. And it also received a nomination from the Directors Guild of America and got five Golden Globe nominations, which th- that kind of shocked me a little bit. Uh, in Picture for Comedy Musical, Lead Actor for Billy Crystal in Comedy Musical, Meg Ryan for uh, Lead Actress in Comedy Musical, Director and Screenplay. And due to his contributions to the soundtrack, Henry Connick uh, Jr. won a Grammy Award for Best Jazz Male Vocal Performance. And as far as the reputation this film has proceeded, uh, outside of the infamous line we will get to in a moment, uh, over the years, the film was chosen by uh, the American Film Institute for their Top 100 Laughs in 100 Years at number 23. It's ranked right now and was selected for preservation by National Film Registry by the Library of of Congress in 2002. Excuse me, 2022. Sorry. (laughs) I didn't get much sleep. But anyways, going to push through. Uh, So our logline for the film is uh, Harry and Sally uh, uh, meet on a crossroad uh, country trip and turn their feud into a lasting friendship over the course of, I believe, 12 years of the film until uh, love threatens to ruin everything. So, uh, (laughs) yeah. So since you chose the film, uh, I wanted to ask what was your experience like in seeing this for the first time or how did you discover this? Well, um, I didn't see it in 89. I was a bit young, but, um, around my college years, I definitely saw it. I've seen it so many times. Um, I think you asked me to choose between a few films. And since I knew we were going to be speaking to each other during the fall, this is just the perfect yep. fall movie. I mean, it's the perfect New York fall f- movie. It's the foliage, the sweaters, um, Washington Square Park. On a personal note, I got married around close to Washington Square Park and have spent many almost once a year in that area. So that has nothing to do with the film, nice. but I just get really nostalgic every time their car drives up. I see, you know, the first the first part of these three parts of the movie, when the car drives up to the arch there and he walks away and there's something that's very nostalgic about that. Um, and otherwise I'm, I'm trying to figure out if you like the movie or not, but in my case, I think it's, it's, um, it's really incredible. Um, we're going to get into more detail, I guess, but there's certain movies where magic happens at a certain time, these group of people come together um, in this case, Reiner and Efron and Harry Connick and and these two actors and it just works it's just magic um perfect ratatat dialogue and the 90 minutes of this film is just lean mean machine every scene is for me um perfect there's nothing it doesn't go overly long sure we can discuss whether the premise of if men and women really can't be friends um, is the thing that is a bit dated in this movie, but we're going to discuss why they came to that. And as a rom-com, I just think it's one of the best in the genre. I, so that's why I chose. Yeah, it. no, I, yeah, no, I, I, <laughs> I, I figured you had a, a, a very uh, distinct connection to it. Uh, like most of our guests had when uh, choosing their film for the, you know, most of the time for me, I, I, 
think I've been very vocal on the show before. I re- I recall saying that I'm not the biggest fan of romantic comedies just because they always fall into the similar trappings. In fact, where I think we're about to get one later this year, assuming the uh, strikes are, are done, that is. Right. Uh, with, uh, oh God, uh, Anyone But You, I think it was, with uh, Sydney Sweeney and, uh, Sweeney. And, and Gwen Powell. So, you know, they always fall into these like, you know, typical trappings of like, you know, uh, you know, the the couple hate each other and by the end they're going to fall in love with each other. There's like a third act breakup or like, you know, a falling out or a misunderstanding or whatever. And I I will say I actually think this was pretty good. I could definitely see why uh, a lot of people fell in love with this. I personally enjoyed it. I liked it. I'm not quite on like the head of my heels. Matthew. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Um, and even my my mom, I was to quote to quote the film. How optimistic of you, Matthew. Yeah, I, the... <laughs> you're embracing life in this matter. Yeah, I, I mean, it's <laughs> it's really tough for me to get invested in romantic comedies, but there's very few out there that I I enjoy, and this is definitely one that I was like, yeah, I enjoy it. Um, there's got a, there's at least a handful. Silver Linings Playbook is one that I actually enjoyed a, a mm-hmm. fair amount. But yeah, I think what what worked about this, and you brought up a really good point, like the writing from Noah Ephron is is quite good. And I, I, I don't think I've ever seen a film written by her. And it's it's unfortunate, too, because she's no longer with us. I think she had passed mm-hmm. away in 2000. You, you haven't seen Silkwood or no. Sleepless in Seattle? No. or you got I, I've never mm-hmm. seen any of them. I know my mom has seen You've Got Mail. And I recall that she wasn't a big fan of Sleepless in Seattle. But she's more into the rom-com chick flick movies than I am, you know, and she she gives me mm-hmm. a lot of guff. Like, why don't you why don't you enjoy more of these romantic uh, comedies? I'm like, because they're fluffy and I just I want more. I, I don't want just cotton candy stuck to my teeth. I want more that'll, you know, stick with me on a positive level. Go, the thing about Nora Ephron is and why I think you feel this way about this movie is that her writing is not cotton candy yeah um i think i mean if you know her story she wrote um she was married to call bernstein you know all the president's men journalist um and when they divorced she wrote the book heartburn which was a real um not just everyone was talking about it at that time and that movie was great too she went on to write silkwood mm-hmm. and um she has a certain bite um, in her writing that makes it something else. And that's why these, these dialogues between all the, this group of people, I mean, she is basically Sally, Rob Reiner. They were really good friends. Um, he's Harry. They talked about this all the time. He had just gone through a really painful divorce from Penny Marshall. Yep. So a lot of the things that she was interviewing him about was that. And I mean, Rob Reiner, for God's sake, you were mentioning Stand By Me. We also have, you know, Spinal Tap, Misery, A Few Good Men. He has a pretty good list of movies himself. But then you bring on his best friend, Billy Crystal, and all the improv they did together during the filming of this, as well as Meg Ryan, who we hadn't seen other than in Top Gun at that point. And it just became this magic between these people. You mentioned Harry Connick Jr., that jazz. Yes. Yeah, that the, the, his soundtrack. And I just want to mention um, the other two, Carrie Fisher yes. and Bruno Kirby, rounding out this group, which giving the dialogue between the four of these friends, the telephone calls, the four-way phone call, um, and Carrie Fisher, who also adds 
this little biting commentary that she does. She's so amazing. I so wish she would have done even more of this type of movies. And for me, that's what that's what I was talking about. That this first made magic that these people got together at this time to make this movie. And the reason why the ending is the way it is that you were mentioning that they change it so much is that Rob Reiner, having gone from this really difficult divorce, actually fell in love during the making of this movie with his future wife. And so he was in a positive mode. And apparently that's one of the reasons they changed the ending because they wanted it to be romantic. I'm sure there were other reasons as well. There was more commercial and things like that. But it's kind of lovely that it followed their personal lives so much. Yeah, those those definitely are like one of the better ones. You know, even if I'm not the biggest fan of them, I'm like, at least you were able to bring pour something out of your life and put it into film. I'm like, okay, there's at least right. an emotional connection. I could see why you you did that film. Uh, I'm sorry, but uh, uh, let me backtrack real quick. Am I correct in saying you said Meg Ryan was in Top Gun, the original? Uh-huh. Right. Okay, I keep forgetting she, she was in that. She's the widow, don't that's, you remember? Okay, yeah, it's it, yeah. it's been a while since I've seen it cuz I I cuz yeah. I don't know why. And that's basically if I remember correctly, yeah. that was basically what she had done when she got the role as Sally. Okay. She hadn't been in a lot of things. So this was like a really uh-huh. big you know, lead role for her after just this and maybe a few smaller things. Okay. Cause I read somewhere too, that Molly Ringwald, I think almost got the part, but then Meg Ryan had convinced Rob Rob Reiner or someone to uh, give her the part, but she, she was good. She's very good in this. And cause I, I kept thinking all throughout the movie, I'm like, have I seen Meg Ryan in anything before? And I'm like, no, I don't think I have. And then, yeah, you brought up Top Gun. I'm like, okay, that explains um yeah <laughs> yeah uh, but yeah no i i i really like uh she's goose wife yeah goose's wife yeah yeah <laughs> um the uh, uh billy crystal i think does a pretty good job in the film uh although i don't know about you but no matter how much of a like i don't know if it was like a wig or like a haircut they did at the opening i cannot buy him as a college student even one who graduated oh uh that's just me what though we have to yeah, we have to get into this. I mean, all the hair in this movie, and Meg Ryan's different haircuts have been widely discussed through the oh, years. Really? They're really horrible. Oh, wow. And yeah, it's one of the things that has been discussed. And I totally agree. It's like they've, it with his first haircut, where they sort of glue down sideburns <laughs> i'm like uh I, that's that one of the one of the minuses of this movie i i'm completely with you yeah because i because i i am thinking like i get i get it it was like late 80s early 90s this kind of film was made like you didn't have i, I don't know maybe it's just because also part of it too is i'm used to billy crystal like modern billy crystal or at least like the, the late nineties when he did the Oscar host stints and did a hilarious job. Mm-hmm, and then he mm-hmm. did like analyze this and some other things. So maybe that's why I was just like, I, I can't like, is it just me? Is it the bad wig? No, it's oh, not. Okay. All right. You. All right. I, I wasn't too sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, um, you, and I, I, and yeah, Carrie Fisher, you know, rest in peace. You know, oh. she, she was fantastic in this. She works and I'll, I'll get, I'll jump back to Billy Crystal in a minute though. But with, with Carrie Fisher, that role could have, easily been annoying you know in terms of like the way her character is very um i I guess kind of have these like snappy one-liners and such um and if you cast if you didn't write the role if you didn't have a good enough writer like Nora efron or a good enough casting decision to have carrie fisher play this role 
I think it would have been a much un- more annoying role. And you kind of have to rely on her, uh, her, even though she's a supporting role, um, to sort of, uh, you know, be sort of the, um, what do you call it? I guess like the, uh, the conscience for, uh, mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. Meg Ryan's character, Sally, uh, in order to, you know, try to motivate her to be like, you know, go out there and try to find another man, you know, and, and, you know, and-, and but she's also at the same time a cynic and she's stuck in that relationship where everyone keeps telling her he's never going to leave it. Yeah, because <laughs> she's stuck in a relationship with a married man who's obviously never going to leave um, his wife. It's obvious to everyone except Carrie Fisher's role. Yeah. Um, and just that whole thing around her and how they fall in love, the two best friends of the best friends that should have been them mm-hmm. and they fall in love instead. It's just a wonderful little circle. That that whole scene with them going on a, on a double date, I thought was a, a bit oh. humorous, not just because of them, like fine, like Carrie Fisher and the other guy were like, Oh, we're, we're actually uh, compatible. Not the other way around. And then when they both talked separately on their own times, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, you don't want to, you know, she's in a very, you know, they're, they're in a very emotional state. You don't want to, you know, break it up, you know, wait like a week or two to contact them. And then don't date her now. Don't date her now. Wait a week or a month later to call uh, to date her. And then immediately they're like, oh, let's get a taxi. And then, oh, taxi. And then the two just leave. And I thought, okay, that was funny. And pesto's the quiche of the 80s is also a great line. I'm sorry. Pesto is the quiche of the eighties is also because he's a food journalist. Oh, gotcha. And that's one of his lines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. It just shows, I, I mean, it clearly shows that I was born in the eighties and I lived through that. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, but uh, yeah, but I, I thought that was good. And obviously, I mean, we cannot, you know, talk about this movie without bringing up the famous scene of the movie, which is the, I'll have what she's having line. Um, yeah, <laughs> and I find it hilarious that, uh, well, one that was delivered by I believe Rob Reiner's mother, his mother, um, yeah, who passed away I think in the uh, mid two thousands. I could be mistaken, but yes, uh, but yeah, <laughs> this is a great. It was a great like line delivery the way she delivered that, um, and it's even funny too because I didn't even watch the movie in full until the other night in preparation for the episode. But I was well aware of the scene just from, you know, watching it in psychology class uh, years ago in, in Stevenson University. But also when uh, I think it was like on DVD commercials or like ads for it where it's like, you know, they show all the like MGM or whatever studio owned it at the time was like, oh, yeah, look at all of our classics. And then, you know, like shows like a cut down version of that. And I'm like, OK, that's funny. Um but yeah, no, I just, it's a, it's a great scene, obviously. And I found out too, that when they test, I don't know if this is a hundred percent true or not. Maybe you can correct me on this, but apparently when they test screened this movie and they showed that line, all the, the guys weren't laughing at all, but all the women were, right. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's great. <laughs> They're like, really? This really happened? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I know that it was 61 takes. Which must have been exhausting for poor Meg Ryan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Until they got that done. Um, yeah, I mean that is definitely pop culture history. That scene um, in 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 movies. I I mean it's it's the scene I might be most sort of tired of, just for the reasons that you're saying that that's the one that's always sure. representative of this movie. While I think there's other ones where um, I watched the movie again, also in preparation of this, where I'm like 
equal surprised again and again and again how brilliantly um composed some of these scenes are do you have any on the top of, uh on uh on the top of your head that come to mind in terms of like oh wow i was actually like impressed how uh how well they did that oh sure i can mention too um and why is because i think a lazy rom-com or a lazy movie in general if you have a scene where your one friend is telling another friend something really important or life-changing. Um, you can have a scene where they're sitting over a table and having coffee or, you know, just the thing that Rob Reiner does in this movie is that he puts so much into these, these scenes. So one of my favorites is the baseball divorce yep. scene, as I call it, um, when Bruno Kirby and Billy Crystal um, are at a baseball game and Billy Crystal is telling the story of this awful way he found out that he was getting a divorce. Yeah, that was great. And at the same time that they're do that they're having this really horrible conversation where his friend played by Bruno Kirby is just really empathetic and oh my god, Mr. Zero knew before you that mm-hmm. you were getting a divorce. They're doing the way. Yeah, with the, the football, yeah. And I think that's just an amazing way to have to give us many many things in one scene you understand their friendship Mm -hmm. that he's very supportive you understand what he's going through and we also have this amazing setting where they're doing this and they tend to do a lot of their their deep discussions these two friends around doing sports things Mm -hmm. there's another scene where he talks about that he made a a woman meow like a cat for an orgasm and there they're um they're practicing hitting the ball at another place. So I think I have a feeling that that uh, Billy Crystal and Rob Reiner would have their deep discussions in ways like that. And the other scene I think is amazing um, that I can't get over is the, or it's actually both of them, but the Casablanca phone conversation. Yeah. When they're watching Casablanca and there you have, you see how good friends they've become. They're not lovers. They've just, this is the third part of the movie where they've actually really become friends. They need each other. They talk about their divorces. Um, But you get a throwback to the conversation they had in the car when they were driving back from from college, or when they were driving from college to New York. And she said that she would would have rather stayed with uh, with uh, Humphrey Bogart mm. and and this point they realize no I never said that and they have this conversation then and, and at the same time that they're watching the movie and the end scene come I also adore the four-way for a conversation after that evening you were referencing when they go out on a date yeah. and uh, or no that they're together Bruno Kirby and Gary Carrie Fisher. Fisher and they call to say that they've slept together mm. So there you actually have a four-way phone conversation where you were getting all this information, which apparently also was a really difficult thing to shoot. Um, And they did many, many takes of it and actually did them at the same time, if I understand. Yeah, I remember uh, reading through, uh, I think it was on IMDb, they stated that by the time they got through the whole phone conversation, the... uh, the the guy with the mustache i cannot remember i apologize um his name is bruno kirby bruno. i can't remember what his name is yeah bruno, yeah, bruno he would all he, like he would flub a line and they go gotta, gotta do the whole thing guys um yeah. you know just because even though we got through the whole phone conversation we did that perfectly it's like yep you flubbed the line it's it very much is like stage you know uh, uh play you know stage you know theater uh acting so to speak, where you flub a line, you know, for that scene, it's like, got to start it again. You know, if you know, during rehearsals, that is, um, but yeah. 
But that's one of the reasons I think the movie is so tight mm-hmm. and so lean is that he really, uh, Rob Reiner and Nora, Nora Ephron have really found ways to include exposition in interesting themes and scenes. Yeah. So we get everything a little bit at once and we have no sort of extra stuff we have to go through. We get the explanations at the same time um, when they're out buying a wedding present for their best friends That's and, and singing karaoke. That's when um, Billy Crystal sees his ex-wife and has a total breakdown and everything is happening at the same time that they're doing something else which makes it really interesting i think and the other thing too about it is a really good director would know that their actors would have to use a lot of playable action so like you said instead of having two people sitting down having coffee they would go to a, a baseball uh you know uh or you know the uh carrie fisher and meg ryan would go to a bookstore and you know find you know books very you know, talking about their life, so to speak. And, and that's, <clears throat> that's something a really good director and a really and a good writer needs to do, you know, cause otherwise you can you know, you want to make a, your, if you want to make your scene come across and you don't want to have the actor just, just say the line. It's like, it's a lot better if you just give them playable action. How about, are they eating an apple? Are they going to be throwing a base, you know, a football, right. whatever. And it's it's things like that that make it work. But I'm glad you brought up the football scene because I was I was going to do that too because I liked how Nora Ephron subverted our expectations into thinking like, oh, you know, just in case you were in case you were paying attention, that's not the truth. The truth is she, yeah, you know, she cheated on me with some guy. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, that's that's great. I'm like, because I was kind of caught off guard. I'm like, okay, that's that's a good way. And like you said, this is you know Nora Ephron and Rob Reiner together. Are like, okay, how do we? try to do a romantic comedy that is definitely within your in lesser hands would have been just kind of fine or just okay um and try to make it as best as we can and the other thing i also have to credit with billy crystal going back to him i was because i haven't seen a whole lot of billy crystal like acting so to speak I'm, i i you know i already stated before i've known him for mostly the oscars and such but I'm glad that they casted Billy Crystal in the role. And obviously, yes, there were other great actors who were, you know, possible picks like Tom Hanks. I think at one point was going to play the role. Albert Brooks was going to play it, but I think mm-hmm. he had rejected it because it felt it would have felt too much like a Woody Allen film, which is ironic because Crimes and Misdemeanors came out that same year. Um, yeah, which a lot of people, a lot of critics when it first came out dismissed When Harry Met Sally because it was sort of a New York mm-hmm. film and, and it was Woody Allen. But I think that over the years, people have seen this on its own merit. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, you know, yeah, I, I, I haven't seen a whole lot of Woody Allen films except for a few. But, yeah, this is definitely much different than something that Woody Allen would do to begin with. But, but you know, but with Crystal, though, I like he's really good with the comedic chops and he, you know, he's hired for the improv. But also even just some of his singing talent, which isn't shown a whole lot, but even just the karaoke scene, I'm like, yeah, okay, that's that's why you hired him. And he shows off just like enough of his acting chops, like dramatic wise, like when he has that breakdown, it's like, okay, this is a good, mm-hmm. you know, a good show for what Billy Crystal can do as a dramatic actor. And even my mom always says, you know, some of the great dramatic actors c- come from comedians. You know, you look at the rate. Yeah, Robin Williams. Yep. No. Robin Williams is one <laughs> yep. who was like, yeah, like look at it, the stuff that he's done. You know, otherwise we would have known him as uh, uh, what was it, the guy from Mork and Mindy? I think it was. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then you see him in stuff like Goodwill Hunting and Fisher King, and it's like, wow, this guy had range. So yeah, I props to to Billy Crystal and and whoever decided to 
throw him a, a bone for the the role. I agree, and and just to talk about some of the um, improv scenes are pretty amazing. Apparently, the whole um, when they're at the museum and he does the whole pepper my paprikash. Yeah. Um, that was apparently something that Meg Ryan had no idea was going to happen. So when he starts with that voice, there's a point where she looks over in our direction that there she was looking at Rob Reiner and the camera going and he's like follow yeah. follow and that was amazing and I've heard I'm not 100% sure how much of it but at least parts of the last incredible very rom-commy last um, speech he makes for her at the New Year's Eve party where he says when you when you figure out you want to spend the rest of your life with someone, you want the rest of your life to start now. A lot of that was improvised too. Wow. So um, he like the, you have this little thing in your forehead. I mean, he said these things, apparently he improvised a lot of it and that mm. you can sort of tell, you can tell that she's getting caught off guard and, mm. and um, that it makes, it's very personal. So he was a great choice. And I also think that, Again, this is like the fourth time I say it. I'm no, sorry. Go ahead. The fact that I think this group of people were friends. They knew each other. They had the same sensibilities. And you can feel that in the movie. They're actually taking things that they've, you know, making fun of each other's friendships or taking serious things that have happened to them in relationships. And I think that's what really, the fact that they cast this group and the, the writer and director behind them were friends. And the, you can feel that. I think it makes it, it gives it that special, special something. You definitely do. And it's, it's like I said, it's a lot more genuine than two people who have never been friends, you know, never had any sort of connection. And they're trying to like artificially create this like rom-com. They're like, we got to fit all the pieces in here. Like what, what's like a typical rom-com would do. Even adding the whole yeah, like for me, like Sleepless in Seattle. No, no, go ahead. Um, That to me, that has not, never i mean i think it's it's a good good movie it's not a bad movie but it never affected me as much as this one mm. because that has what you're talking about that more constructed elements you know where they don't meet each other until the end and things like this feels like much more like they're having a good time all at, all at once yeah uh, definitely um good. yeah like i said i just i i was definitely impressed by it and uh was yeah again for a rom-com i'm like yeah this is like what like matthew enjoyed a rom-com that's that's nuts. i love it um <laughs> i'm just looking through my notes right now the one thing i keep forgetting was a thing in the 80s or 90s was the the card contact thing just because i never grew like by the time i grew up and had any kind of like you know phone contacts of anyone it was already plugged into my phone i didn't have to rely on like oh let me let me pull out of my bag the oh little, you mean the roll yeah the rolodex that's yeah. what it was okay yeah again just shows that i was clearly born in the 80s and lived through this yeah i can say i i was young and i never had a rolodex with any guys yeah <laughs> uh and then the other thing was in terms of the montage uh segments of the film which are handled pretty well uh, the one I really liked was, and I think this is part of the reason why I could relate to these characters is like uh, Sally, I'm a bit of a picky eater myself. And I love the the moment when they're at the Asian cuisine or restaurant and you could just see in a month, like without any like uh, dialogue, you could just see the, the waiter just like, She's using you know, just like, you know, writing down <laughs> on the pad and then just turn his head to Billy Crystal. Like, what the hell do you see in her? And I thought that was, that was great. I thought, okay, that's that's good. Yeah, just just again, just like really good directing from from everyone, and and there's even a couple other lines that I enjoyed, like when 
you know, Meg Ryan finds out that her boyfriend was cheating on her, you know, with some accountant uh, in his workplace. And she's like, you know, she's crying, you know, she's on the bed, like, you know, I'm going to be 40. Yeah. In eight years. When? Yeah. <laughs> in eight yeah. years. I thought that was great. Sometimes. Um, even with her trying to uh, get out of the, the, the New Year's party at the very end. And she tells Carrie Fisher, uh, I'm going home. You'll never get a taxi. And she just goes along with the guy, like a fake laugh, you know, to whatever his jokes were. I thought that was funny. Um and the other thing I was, oh, when Harry and Sally got together, I don't know if you ever had this, uh, if you thought about this, when they finally got to, you know, uh, had sex together, the whole time I kept thinking was uh, Pam from The Office telling, uh, my, when she told Michael, you're, Michael, you're just a rebound. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's all I thought of was that. And I thought that was, that was great. In terms of directorial choice, it was nice to show that Rob Reiner didn't show the actual, like, you know, full on gratuitous sex because it, it wouldn't have worked for this kind of movie. Cause it's not explicit, so to speak, like showing it's a lot of telling and it, it's, right. and because it's done in this more naturalistic way, it's like, why are we doing this whole dialogue conversation that you're doing pretty well and kind of sophisticated in, <clears throat> and then be a bit more, not crass, but more like uh very showing with the nudity. And I'm glad they didn't do that. They're like, Nope, we're not going to do that. We're just going to show them afterwards in bed after they kiss and everyone knows what happened. So I thought that was, that that was, that was good. It was a good choice for him to do as a director. Oh, the other thing too, at the beginning when they were driving around through uh, New York city, cause I keep, you know, when it started, I was like, wait, uh, like, wasn't this shot in like, I don't know, uh, late nineties, early two thousands. And then when I saw the two towers in the background, I thought, okay, I forgot this is 1989. (laughs) Eight, eight, nine, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's still, I, you know, like I said, I, I haven't seen, uh, you know, not usually a big fan of romantic comedies to begin with, but I thought this one was definitely one of the better ones that I've seen for sure. And I'm glad I saw it. If nothing else, I do want to see more Rob Reiner films. Cause I've only seen mm-hmm. about like two or three. Cause I, I've seen a few good men, which is pretty good. Um, yeah, and then the and you've seen Misery. I have not. That's the Stephen that's King, the yeah. other big one. Uh, I think Stand by Me. That's also a lone screenplay nominee. So I'll get around to that in the future. Just mm-hmm. not this year, though. There's no way. Um, but yeah, other than that, I I you know unless there's any other uh, final remarks you want to make about the the movie itself before we go into the awards conversation. I think you said. I mean, um, I think you've mentioned most of of it i have to say so i'm I'm happy that you and and it's fun how how well it still holds up that you can do a first viewing two days ago in 2023 and you're still feeling that you know it's has isn't too dated and and that it's you know the dialogue is crisp and and um i love that yeah yeah like i said i was just i you know i was like if nothing else it it makes me admire that you know like you said it's just a, a bunch of uh actors who are clearly friends or uh, have or created a, a relationship together over the course of the film on set be implemented on the screen. And you see a lot of that passion go into it, um, which is yeah. nice. Um, no, I'm good. We can continue on to whatever you were thinking. Yeah. Well, no, like I said, I was just going to go right into the uh, awards uh, question I had. So now we're into the uh, the little award section uh, before we sign off officially, because uh, I, I do have I, I had some questions or at least some 
comments I wanted to ask regarding with its awards chances. What I assume you think this is worthy of a uh, of its sole writing nomination, and would you have nominated it for any other categories? Well, I mean, I definitely think this is worthy of the writing nominations, but it, but it was an amazing year. Um, I wrote down the other ones. So it was Dead Poets Society, Crimes and Misdemeanors, Woody Allen, you mentioned Spike Lee's Do yep. the Right Thing, and Sarasota wrote Sex, Lies, Videotape, and Nora Ephron. It's an amazing group of, of um, contenders there, and I absolutely think that this was worth the nomination. Um I would have loved to have seen Carrie Fisher in supporting. I think it's such an amazingly, as you were saying as well, this that supporting could have been that really boring rom-com best friend mm-hmm. that we see in so many boring rom-coms. Yeah. And this was just taking it up such a notch. And just the fact that, you know, this is Princess Leia. This is, she had all these other connotations and, and she's so good. I would love that. And I definitely think that Rob Reiner um, could have gotten a director, um, director nomination. That was a pretty good year as well with Oliver Stone and Kenneth Branagh. Um, but this was also the year that Driving Miss Daisy won. Yep. Um, and I would say that there's quite a few others I would have rather see win. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't even <laughs> seen Driving Miss Daisy but, yet, and I don't know if I ever um, will. Um, but I can already tell you that it's there's other compared movies. Compared to just a few of the ones I mentioned here, I don't know exactly who was Best Picture. I don't remember. Um, but the, there was a lot more to choose from than that. Yeah, I'm looking through <laughs> the Best Picture lineup. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Um, Born on the 4th of July, uh, Dead Poet Society, Feel the Dreams, and My Left Foot were the Best Picture nominees. All of them. Yeah. Better than um, <laughs> Yeah, it's... But what do you think? I'm curious what you, you think there should have been, it would have, should have been nominated for something else. I, I, I guess just... After seeing it. I, I, I guess in terms of its competition, I mean, uh, you know, a performance like Billy Crystal's and Meg Ryan is very good, but it's not one that the Academy would personally consider, especially even in now. Um, I mean, hell, we're about to get into the Oscar race in the next couple months, and I guarantee you we're probably going to be filled with a bunch of biopic performances and a bunch of, like, best picture frontrunners, so to speak, that are, like, really timely and very, you know, have a lot of social commentary. And not that this doesn't have any, you know, com- uh, mm-hmm. a commentary uh, relevance, because it, it kind of does, but... It, I think part of the reason also it got the screenplay nomination was because of its relevance. I mean, it made a lot of money and it was mm-hmm. a, such a popular film. You know, it's like, okay, it's it's going to get the screenplay nomination. What else can we get it? And it just seems like, you know, yeah, Billy Crystal. And considering yeah, that it was up against Woody Allen, um, who many critics sort of dismissed this movie in favor of Woody Allen. So it was pretty good that it actually did get the screenplay nomination. Yeah. And I'm just looking through here. Yeah. And you're right about the original screenplay category. Like that's a really good lineup. I've only seen three of them. Um, Dead Poet Society is pretty good. I enjoyed it. Uh, That's also another really good dramatic work from Robin Williams. And Mm. yeah, do the right thing was kind of robbed. Like it, it should have gotten more nominations. Oh God. That, yeah that he and and that not just kind of robbed it yeah no it was um (laughs) but but even too like it's funny how history tends to repeat itself years later when driving miss daisy wins again practically with green book and this time spike lee was able to finally win his you know overdue oscar for black klansman a a justified win in my opinion 
And yeah, it just shows, you know, there's, there's things about the Academy that will change. And, uh, but there's other things that the Academy are clearly not <laughs> ready to change for. It'll always stay the same. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah I, but I'm trying to think if there's anything else for, 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 um, uh, for when Harry met Sally. Cause like I said, it, the only thing it, it, it really had a shot at getting was uh, original screenplay. Uh, the one credit I did want to bring up, which I don't think I mentioned in my, um, in the review section, the editing is very good. Um, because when it was over, I was like, wait, that was 90 minutes. Okay. That was pretty good. I know. Um, And the montages and all that's lovely. And the music, um, we're not going to give it hair and makeup, I guess. No hair and makeup. I'm (laughs) I'm looking through, um, for the wigs. Yeah, no, we're we're just not. I mean, also too, like the, the, I mean, I think I just want to give a shout out if he's ever listening out there, Josh Parham. Uh, he brings up a pretty good point that the makeup branch can do some pretty bold choices, but at the same time, they can do some very questionable ones where it's like, really, we're going to keep doing this over and over again. Like the, you know, like the fat <laughs> suits or whatever. Okay. Um, and I'm like, yeah, he's got a point. Um, yeah, even yeah. if they do it a really good job, it's like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, cause, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, like I said, though, no, no makeup nomination for when Harry met Sally. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Director, though, like that, I, I, I would have been curious to see Rob Reiner get like a director nomination somewhere down the road, because the fact that like he couldn't get in for, if I remember correctly, A Few Good Men, he, he got was it he got snubbed for uh I think it was The Player, which was a really well directed movie, too. And it's shocking. Yeah. Rob Reiner just seems very much like a. Yeah, he's too much of a commercial guy, I I guess, and like yeah, I think he's in the sort of comedy commercial thing. The Academy still hasn't really accepted that. I don't know. There's something. There's something off about it, and um, mm-hmm. it's a shame. Yeah, he never really got to do anything. Well, as far as I remembered, um, anything that was outside of that wheelhouse, which is a good wheelhouse he's in. You know, American President is a a good one, but at the same time, it's like okay, there's, you know. You know, it just happens, you know, someone gets an Oscar nomination, some people don't. Um, I think Rob Reiner did get a producing nomination for A Few Good Men, which is good enough, you know, but, you know. But think about Rob Reiner, sometimes if you sort of forget about what an amazing bounty of work he's done, and then not to mention going forward, wasn't he behind Seinfeld as well? Um, and, you know, the, he has this incredible or one of the people behind that somehow um i just feel that he really when you start looking through his cv or imdb you're like wow yeah (laughs) yeah it's it's shocking i mean yeah even misery was another one where it's like that's kind of a different movie for you to do and stand by me and even the princess bride oh yeah i keep forgetting that um my god and spinal tap yeah spinal tap yeah classic (laughs) yeah um i do recall the uh not to uh i don't want to bring any uh dower uh notes on it but i recall the uh ebert and siskel review for their infamous review for north um you know but every you know but every every director i mean even every actor has like one bad movie on their their table which you know which is fine. You know, some, a lot of directors rebound and I think he did with American president and maybe a couple other things, but I can't remember, but yeah, regardless though. Yeah. Like I said, I, I guess like the lone screenplay nod is, is justified. And yeah, just looking at the lineup here, it would have been kind of tough for someone like Billy Crystal or 
Meg Ryan and yeah, Carrie Fisher would have been a pretty good uh, choice. I mean, hell, the fact that she never got, I mean, as you said, she never really got much of a chance to do anything like this, um, you know, throughout her career where she only got like few opportunities like this. Um, but you know, like I said, just, it just happens. So, uh, yeah. So unless there's anything else you want to bring up, uh, note for the show, uh, I think we could, uh, wrap up. If that's all right with you. That was fun. No, that, that was great. Awesome. Uh, so once again, I just want to say thank you again, Christina, for dedicating your time to be here on the show before we sign off officially. Is there anything you'd like to plug in or where our listeners can follow you along? Oh, thank you. Um, well, you can follow me on Twitter or X, I guess it's called now, <laughs> at, at Christina Biro, B-I-R-R-O, one word. It's the same on Instagram. Um, my show is Pop Culture Confidential, so popcultureconfidential.com or wherever you get your podcasts or Spotify, and, and uh, that's about it. Nice. Uh, and also, I should also I also want to point out, uh, I would highly recommend anyone out there who is interested in listening about the Oscars, uh, listen to her podcast, Pop Cultural Confidential. Uh, I got a chance to hear you guys talk, uh, you, Sophia, Eric, and Ryan talk, uh, I think it was last month or so, talking about the Telluride Film Festival. And there's yeah. there's a few on there that I'm like, ooh, I'm excited to see uh, for sure. Oh, great. So, um and they'll they'll will all be on again soon in a couple of weeks actually we're doing sort of a post festival pre um after like the AFI fest we're going to get together again and talk about how where we see award season right mm. now <laughs> yeah yeah this this year is definitely going to be interesting uh, i won't say <laughs> on the air but all i will say is that i think there's one category that I mean, I kind of want to be on the double edge, you know, be like the double coin, so to speak. Like on the one hand, I want to say we're open in one category, but on the other, I'm like, yeah, I think this is kind of sewn up, but I'll, well, uh, yeah, we, we could talk about that off air if, if you want. Um, yeah, I'm curious. Um, <laughs> so anyways, so uh, as for me, you could follow along on the show and on the show itself through Linktree under at Matthew995 where you can follow along on all my social media accounts, such as Twitter and Letterboxd. On the same site, I provided a link for where you could listen to more of the episodes for the show, including this one. And if you're interested in being in the hot seat in the near future, let me know. And hopefully we can arrange that happening soon. In the meantime, we hope you enjoyed listening to the episode, and we hope to see you at the movies. Take care, guys. Bye.